Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. A lot of people ask us questions about transit and transportation, and it makes sense. That's what we all have in common, right? We've gotten a handful of questions about Interstate 10, specifically the part in downtown Phoenix where it goes through an underground tunnel. Uh, Yeah, it's Jesse Millard, and I live in Phoenix. Why does the Interstate 10 kind of split downtown Phoenix almost like perfectly in half, like between, you know, downtown and uptown? How did the I-10 end up where it is in downtown Phoenix, and why does it go through a tunnel? Let's find out. Odds are you've driven through the tunnel. It runs about a half mile between 3rd Street and 3rd Avenue. You go in the tube, hold your breath, make a wish, and 30 seconds later you're out. Phoenix natives call this the Deck Park Tunnel, but the first thing I learned in reporting this episode while watching a video from the Arizona Department of Transportation is that is not its real name. And it's technically not a tunnel. It's known as the Deck Park Tunnel, but one of the interesting things is the tunnel is actually a series of bridges. That in turn created a deck on which the park could be located, but it also created the tunnel uh, through which I-10 traffic could travel. The real name is the Papago Freeway Tunnel. It doesn't meet the Federal Highway Administration definition of a tunnel. But in this episode, I'm going to call it a tunnel because series of 19 bridges doesn't exactly roll off the tongue and that's what everyone calls it. You should know, going underground wasn't always the plan. We almost had a sky highway. But before I go there, let's go back to where it all began the 1950s. President Dwight Eisenhower took office in 1953, and he was focused on the nation's highways. Driving was growing in popularity, and the country's infrastructure needed to keep up, especially in case of an atomic attack. You know, Cold War stuff. He had his administration study the idea of creating an interstate highway system and worked hard to promote it. Here's a clip of Eisenhower speaking at a safety conference in 1954. The same list of statistics that I saw said that in 1975, well, I don't know why I should be bothering about that year, except I have grandchildren, uh, says there's going to be 80 million automobiles on our streets and roads and highways. He was a man with vision and jokes. Now the federal government is going to do its part in helping to build more highways and many other facilities to take care of those cars. But the 80 million cars on our highways, I wondered how people will get to highway conferences to consider the control of highway traffic. (laughs) It's going to be a job. After promoting the idea for years, Eisenhower signed the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956. Cities and states began studying and planning this interstate system, Arizona among them. I am Eric Anderson. I'm executive director of the Maricopa Association of Governments. Uh, We're the regional planning agency uh, for the Valley, so we do uh, all the transportation planning, long-range transportation planning for the the region. What's that book you brought? Oh, 
this this is the, the infamous Wilbur Smith plan from 1960, and I, I brought it because the this is our this is the first transportation plan done for the region in 1960. Let's see if I can find it here. You see on this, this is kind of if you look at what we currently have in place today, it's not exactly the same, but you can see the beginnings of how we ended up what we have today back in 1960. Arizona was a pretty rural state in the 50s. So while other states started building freeways in their downtowns... In Arizona, the rural interstate system was built first. In the valley's urban center, drivers relied on surface streets to get around. It was a chore, no doubt. And, you know, you, you, you modified your travel behavior accordingly. You didn't just jump in your car and say, hey, I'm going to go. I lived in Scottsdale at the time. Uh, I'm going to go to Glendale or Peoria or any, any place like that because it was just too far to go. Well, there was one freeway in the valley. Well, in, in the 60s, and I actually moved here in 1967. Uh, my mother and I moved here from Yuma. Uh, and in 1967, uh, there were less than a million people uh, here in, the, in Maricopa County. Uh, and we didn't have any freeways. The only freeway that really was functional was I-17. Throughout the 60s, parts of I-10 were built. Starting at the airport, uh, around Sky Harbor Airport, and around the Broadway, what we call the Broadway Curve today, and down to Tucson, all that in I-10 was built in the 1960s. At first, there were two options for where to put the interstate in downtown. One was farther south, essentially where the I-17 is now, along Durango Street. The other was the Moreland Corridor, between Roosevelt Street and McDowell Road. But people were worried about how a freeway might split downtown. In the 60s, people across the country began raising concerns about how these new highways were dividing neighborhoods, hurting cities, and impacting the environment. What they're doing is splitting the whole city in two. It's terrible! My business will be ruined! They can't do this to me! Well, there goes the neighborhood. It doesn't have to be that way. Really, it doesn't. And I'll show you why. And so, the idea of a sky highway was born. In the late 1960s, a Phoenix consulting firm and design team proposed building the freeway elevated above the city. These retro clips are from a video called Soaring Sculpture from around that time promoting the idea of this elevated highway. Here's the host. I'm Larry Burrell, a reporter, a commentator, an observer and critic of the American scene. In the video, Larry, who was a TV anchor and actor from Los Angeles, wears perfectly coiffed hair and a suit and sits in front of a wall of books. He makes a convincing case for the new structure. What's more, since Central Avenue is literally the main street of Phoenix, very heavily traveled, it would be totally impractical to provide on and off ramps at the point where the freeway will intersect it, or even to thrust the freeway as a whole across it. So a unique design was created which separates the east and west roadways by a full city block in a graceful double arc, supports the freeway on sculptured columns that are wide apart, 
and best of all, elevates the whole freeway far above the ground. The freeway would generally run 25 to 45 feet in the air, but would go as high as 100 feet over Central Avenue. And this is at a height of 100 feet. Personally, I like the higher elevation, way up there. For drivers to get on and off this 100-foot freeway in downtown, they'd have to drive through a unique design. I'll let Larry explain. The other interchange, closely studied by the team, has a wholly new kind of design and a new name, helicoil. It is a circular interchange made up of a series of concentric helices to form a helicoil. I'm told it's economical to build, very efficient from a traffic handling standpoint, and as you can see, extremely satisfying from an aesthetic point of view. In case you're having a hard time picturing it, here's how Eric from MAG described them. These helicoils, were, which were like at 5th Avenue and 5th Street, were gigantic. Uh, you see the pictures of them, they look like something out of Disneyland, quite frankly. The helicoils would be a thousand feet wide, longer than three football fields. I don't know how many levels, but it was like five or six levels. You just went around in circles. It's like, it's like when you come out of the parking garage at Sky Harbor on Terminal 4. You go around that ramp. Well, you imagine those much bigger? Uh, that's what it was like. Engineers, business people, and politicians loved the design. The Arizona Highway Department pursued the plan. $40 million worth of land was bought and cleared. Thousands of people displaced homes and businesses demolished to make way for the freeway. The plan also included this idea to build a big central park in downtown Phoenix under the freeway. Beneath the soaring sculpture of the freeway, supported by columns far apart, the designers envision a sweep of beautiful greenery, lush tropical vegetation, and all manner of attractive municipal goodies, swimming pools, an orchestra shell, fountains, playgrounds for kids, winding paths for strollers, artificial lakes, bicycle trails. Not everyone bought it. Some people called it a, quote, Berlin Wall that would divide downtown. Billboards appeared around the city saying, quote, Papago Freeway ain't no Taj Mahal. The publisher of the Arizona Republic and the Phoenix Gazette, Eugene C. Pulliam, came out against the plan in 1973. The newspapers published opinion pieces questioning it, which kicked up public response and prompted a public vote. And actually, there was a ballot measure on whether uh, the freeway should be built. And uh, it came back no. Voters rejected the Sky Highway in 1973. But the debate revived a couple years later. Again, some wanted the Durango option, others still wanted the Moreland Corridor, just not 100 feet in the air this time. And in 1975, voters approved a freeway in the Moreland Corridor. Environmental impact studies were done, and the U.S. Secretary of Transportation even visited Phoenix to see the proposed routes. New controversy emerged over the fact that ancient Hohokam ruins were in the demolition path but Secretary Adams approved the Moreland option in 1978. He said the Durango path, quote, would not relieve projected congestion on city streets or provide as ready access to the central business district or to the expanded airport. 
environmental work was done in the in the late 1970s, and the alignment for I-10 that we have today, what, what was called the Moreland Corridor, uh, was selected uh, as the preferred uh, alignment for I-10. And again in November 1973, the plan to build the freeway along the Moreland Corridor went to the public vote for a final time. And it won. So, to answer Jesse's question of why the I-10 is where it is, that location was thought to have a more positive impact on the city, and people liked it. As for why it's a tunnel, city and state officials came up with the plan, saying it was the best and least environmentally impactful option. The Hohokam ruins were excavated and preserved. Construction began in the 80s. Voila. The Deck Park Tunnel's grand opening was in August 1990. After two decades of controversy, downtown Phoenix finally had a highway. And people were excited about it. There was a three-day open house to celebrate the opening of the tunnel. An estimated 100,000 people came to the party to walk and bike through the tunnel. There was a car show with Model Ts and Corvettes. There were carts selling fry bread and shaved ice. There were even fireworks. Former Governor Rose Mofford oversaw the ribbon cutting on August 10, 1990. The tunnel was the last piece of I-10 to be built. Now, about 240,000 vehicles drive through the tunnel every day. It connected the East and West Valley and paved the way for more highways in Metro Phoenix. Uh, About 40% of the uh, traffic in Maricopa County touches I-10 or I-17 every day. So it is a very important uh, economic corridor for us. It moves a lot of traffic, a lot of people, goods, uh, and services around and, and really through, through the valley. And on the tunnel's deck is Margaret T. Hans Park, home to the Japanese Friendship Garden, Irish Cultural Center, Phoenix Center for the Arts, and Burton Bar Central Library. There you have it. The I-10 goes through a tunnel downtown because, in so many words, people hated every other option. Engineers and officials determined putting the interstate along the Moreland Corridor was the most efficient and least environmentally impactful option, and the Sky Highway designs were just absurd. I never knew the tunnel had such a long, controversial history, and I can't help but imagine what downtown would be like if we had a highway in the sky. Personally, I can't wait to get my wheels on it. How about you? Well, that's it for today. If you have more questions about transportation in Metro Phoenix, submit them to us at valley101.azcentral.com or tweet us at valley101pod. If you enjoyed this episode, I bet you'll like our very first episode exploring what the Roosevelt Row Arts District was like in the past. The retro video you heard was produced by Swartwout Film Productions in cooperation with the Arizona State Highway Department and the Bureau of Public Roads and U.S. Department of Transportation. Thank you to the Arizona Department of Transportation for letting us use parts of that video. As always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you next week.